The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Beside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb Are you washed in the blood In the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Some glad morning when this life is over I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away of every true Christian is to fly away, to go be with Jesus. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. We talk about God's ways here, but what we really talk about is the one we love. His name is Jesus. I long for the day 
when I can be in his presence fully, completely, to be in the presence of Jesus. No endeavor of the human heart is greater or of more importance than to establish that relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms a man or a woman into a new creature in Christ Jesus. There is nothing more important. And it will take concentrated time and effort. The Christian gospel has intellectual content. It is simple, but there is content that you must know. For example, who is Jesus? Well, we begin to get a hint of who Jesus is in Matthew, the second chapter. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. I have to stop a moment. Why are pagan wise men coming to worship Jesus when the high priest of Jerusalem is not coming to worship Jesus? Why has the Sanhedrin not seen the star? Why have they not gone out to worship Jesus because Jesus did not come the way they expected him to come. They were expecting a king after the likeness of man. They expected a throne to come down from the glory of heaven. They expected someone that they could get behind and that they could be counted as important people to belong to this man's throne, and he was to overthrow the Roman Empire. He was to set up the nation of Israel. He was to make them somebody. That was their agenda. That wasn't Jesus' agenda. Jesus came as a as a high priest, to offer himself as a sacrificial atonement. They didn't look for a sacrificial atonement. They thought they were fine. Now, the reason I mention this, these pagans understood more thoroughly than the leaders in Jerusalem, that this was a king who was being born because they'd seen his star in the east. In fact, they had probably been looking for the star in the east. But the Jewish leaders were not looking for a star in the east. They were not looking in Bethlehem to see if a child was born They were not looking for a ruler. 
who was born and laid in a manger? That didn't fit their social standing. Now, please, please try to hear me. The most difficult task you will ever undertake is to lay aside your flesh and to know Jesus Christ. He shed his blood on Calvary. He was our atoning sacrifice. It was not a vicarious atonement. It was not a punishment atonement. It was a priestly sacrificial atonement. There are so many foolish concepts that float around about Jesus, and all of them are for really only one purpose, to mask who this Jesus truly was. He was God wrapped in human flesh. Now, I want to show you just a couple of texts. They're familiar to you, but we need to just review them. We need to look at them. We need to read them with eyes unbiased by our expectations and our personal demands for what we want Jesus to be. I spoke the truth to a man this morning, and he said to me, Pastor, you're not being fair. All I could say to him was, go talk to Jesus about fairness. It's not about being fair. It's about reality. I have no standing to demand that God be fair. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we read in John, the first chapter, in the beginning was the word, that is, in the beginning was the Logos. What is the Logos? The Logos is the creative power behind all of creation. He creates reality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. That is, this, that is the claim of Scripture. But he was not named Jesus when the world was created. He had not been revealed as Jesus. Please, all of the names of God are names of redemption. Jesus' real name is not Jesus. That's a description of the saving work he will do for his people. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, they're all descriptions of who Jesus is. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Logos, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, in the story of Jesus coming as a baby, we have two things that we need to understand. First is the clear statement in Scripture, the book of Matthew, that Jesus was born of a virgin. In other words, he was not born after the likeness of Adam. He was born after the likeness of God, because he was God. So Jesus did not have the inclination to sin that you and I have. It's impossible for God to sin. God cannot even be tempted. He was tried. He was tested. But he could not sin. Because Jesus had all of the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in him. This man was God wrapped in flesh. It was literally true that he was in the beginning with God, and through him, that is, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is John, the first chapter. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Or the NIV says, the darkness has not understood it. Verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he will save his people from their sin. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God, because he was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you understand? This Jesus that we're dealing with is not some sentimental little baby that we can ooh and awe over. This baby that was born in Bethlehem, this was God. And this God, wrapped in human flesh, somehow shielding his God presence so that we saw him as a human. I love to read the stories of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because in these stories, it is God in flesh acting, and we see how he, how he acted. We see what his ways were. We see 
the compassion and the mercy. We also see his sternness. I want to read this for you. John, the third chapter. He's speaking with a man, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night. I suspect he didn't want to be seen. He said, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born from above. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Let's break that down. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he has a new birth where he is washed and the sin is washed away. And then he is born of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born from above. And all Nicodemus can say is, How can this be? Well, let's look at that quickly, because Nicodemus was not a dummy. He was a very smart, capable businessman doing business throughout Europe. He and Joseph of Arimathea had tin mines in Europe. He was an extremely wealthy and powerful man. So what's going on here? Nicodemus doesn't understand. Maybe he doesn't want to understand. You see, this is this is how it is. Most today and I'm sure Nicodemus as well, had only lived in his flesh. And I hear people saying today, oh, I'm going to always be in my flesh. I'm going to always be a sinner. I can't leave my sin. Really? Isn't it time to grow up in the Spirit? See, here's the trouble. Most who call themselves Christians today in America have a wonderful, sentimental, loving view of this Jesus Christ, this baby in the manger. They can relate to the baby in the manger. They have a much more difficult relate time relating to the gruesome spectacle of Jesus being stripped naked, spread wide and high, and nailed, dying to a cross, bleeding. We can deal much more easily with the baby in the manger than we can with the God-man dying. 
So most in America today, and I won't say you because I don't know you, but I'm sure it includes many of you, you have said, yes, I want to be a Christian, and so you have added to an already full life that of being a Christian. And so following Jesus is very similar to what happened when Jesus fed the crowd the loaves and the fishes. You enjoy the sentimental idea of a picnic. You enjoy the the notion of Jesus feeding. You enjoy the notion that there's a higher power that you could pray to and he'll give you good gifts. But has it ever dawned on you that if you are not washed and made clean, and if you are not born of the Spirit, you cannot be saved? Now, I have to tell you, I've spent the better part of my life years searching after Jesus to try to understand what all of this is really about. Sometimes I just feel too dumb and too thick and I can't, it's like there's a shroud over my mind and I can't pierce through and grasp the the fullness of what it means to be crucified with Jesus Christ. I know it's a work that Jesus has to do in me and for me. But I know I have to leave behind the foolishness of this world. I have to leave behind trying to add Jesus to an already busy and full life of the flesh. Do you understand that when you go to work, you don't go to work to earn money? If you think that you are in the job you're in right now in order to earn money to pay for your livelihood, you don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, that is the royal authority of God over your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you. In other words, under the new covenant, we don't work for our livelihood. Instead, we eat the broken body of Christ and we drink his blood. And he sends us on assignment to a factory, to a government job, to a teaching position. He sends us to a radio station. Wherever it is he sent us, our job in that place is to bring everything in that place under the headship of Jesus Christ by our testimony, by the excellence of our work, even as Daniel did in Babylon. 
You know, one of the greatest conversion stories in all of Scripture is the story of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar would never have become a follower of the God of heaven had Daniel not been in his life. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he saw the powerful testimony of these men. He saw God working in them, delivering them, providing for them. And finally, he saw God work in his own life. And when he came back from his insanity, he humbly humbly bowed down before the God of heaven. I'm looking forward to talking with Nebuchadnezzar once we arrive on the other side. Well, God wants that same kind of conversion in your workplace. He wants you to so witness, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, not a Bible bopper, not pushing your doctrine, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. Walking in such a manner that God dwells in you that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in you, that Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus, and the Father is in you, even as you're in Jesus. Now, where I'm struggling with all of this, I'm very clear that as long as I continue to walk and dwell in the flesh, as long as you continue to walk and dwell in your flesh, pursuing your worldly goals, pursuing the things the pagans run after, living a life like the pagans, your life never being transformed into a new creature, you're never transformed into a radically different person, and yet you call yourself a Christian, but it's just flesh with a little bit of Jesus paint on, sprayed onto your, on your flesh. Most who go to church are not really Christians because they're essentially just flesh men and women with flesh men and women desires and hopes and goals never having laid down their lives for Jesus Christ. Go back to this visit of the Magi when King Herod heard, when he heard about the star in the east, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. In other words, they were all disturbed. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. So why didn't the leaders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, 
Why didn't they journey with the wise men taking gifts like they had of gold and incense and myrrh? Why didn't they go with the wise men and look for the star? Are you looking for the star? Are you looking for the star? You can still see it today. In your spirit, you can still see it today. There is the calling of the Holy Spirit in your heart that says, come on, leave that alone. Come apart and be separate with me. It is God speaking to you. He said, go and make a careful search for the child, and and when you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him too. Why didn't King Herod go and find the child? Because he wanted to destroy the child. And the high priests, they wanted to destroy the child just like Herod did, because their authority was now being desperately threatened. Jesus was coming as the high priest, so the high priest would lose his position. That's what he was afraid of. And obviously, he bought his position from the Roman government. He was not a high priest. He was a forgery. He was a fake. Jesus was the real high priest. And he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. The real high priest was God wrapped in flesh. The most incredible gift man has ever received was Jesus Christ, God Almighty, wrapped in flesh. Now, let's be very clear. We worship one God. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God. But that one God expresses himself in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Before the creation of the world, he was not called Father. The Holy Spirit was not called Holy Spirit. It was not called Jesus. The pre-existence of Jesus. I spoke earlier, there are two important elements you need to grasp a hold of to understand the story of Christmas. One the virgin birth, Jesus born in a manger, not in December, that's a pagan holiday, but born probably, we don't know, but probably Jesus was born in late September when the shepherds would still be out with their flocks. In December, they were not out with their flocks. It was too cold. So the virgin birth is key to our understanding of Jesus. But then there's another element in this story that we have to be very clear about. I've already identified it, but let me be very clear with you. And that is the absolute pre-existence of Jesus. We are not Arians. We do not believe that Jesus was a prophet. We believe he was God. We believe he was God. 
He was God wrapped in flesh. And the Father and the Holy Spirit dwelt in him. You cannot separate them. You cannot divide God into three portions. We serve one God, not three gods. So Jesus was fully God, not a lesser God, equal, coexistent with the Father and with the Spirit because he was God, one God, one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. And that one God chose to come and be wrapped in flesh as the most incredible gift we've ever received. Now, the Magi went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Foolish men have tried to figure out what that star was. It's clear what the star was. It was an angel of God, brilliant, beautiful, shining bright. stopped over the place where the child was. But no one in Jerusalem was interested in going with the wise men to take simply a six-mile walk. That's how far Bethlehem was from Jerusalem, six miles, an easy walk. They had no interest in this Christ child. He didn't fit their expectations. And those of you who expect to be saved by simply saying you believe in Jesus and you remain in your flesh, you continue to walk in your darkness, you're not born from above, you're not made into a new creature, it's the same old, same old, except now you call yourself a Christian and you enjoy the fellowship of the brethren and the sisters. You enjoy going to the dinners and the social events. You enjoy focusing on all the professional sports of our day and all the other entertainments of our day. Breaks my heart as I've talked with people and discovered that many of the 35,000 who went to the National Harbor Casino as it opened, 35,000 people were there the opening night many of those people call themselves Christians. They're not Christians. They're people walking in the flesh who enjoy the loaves and fishes of Jesus, but they've never been born from above. They've never been transformed, or they would have no interest in going to gamble. That wouldn't be in their heart. They don't worship money. They don't worship the gods of this world. They worship Jesus, the Christ. Those 35,000 would not have been interested in going to Jerusalem. They would not have been interested in, in seeking that child. Would you have been interested? Would you have walked six miles to see baby Jesus? Would you have bowed and worshipped him? 
Would you have given him gifts? The star they'd seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They put their face on the, on the floor. These are pagan men. Where were the Jewish people? It's like this was a harbinger of how Jesus was going to be treated through his whole ministry. The leadership never accepted him. The priests never accepted Jesus. I can tell you today that the leaders of the American Christian Church do not accept that the blood of Jesus has more power than that of bulls and goats. They still are saying, no, no, we're only declared righteous. We're not made righteous. We're not transformed into new creatures. The major leadership of the Christian church in America denies that you can walk without sin in your life now. So they pour out their sentimental gospel that has no power. They tell a man who's on drugs, continue in your drugs. Jesus saved you. You're saved. You don't have to leave your drugs. You don't have to leave your homosexuality. You don't have to leave lying and cheating and stealing. You don't have to leave bitterness and anger. You can't. You're bound. I spoke yesterday at the National Prayer Chapel. I spoke about the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, you would probably quickly answer the gospel is the good news. Well, what's it good news about? Well, you would probably answer it's the good news that we're forgiven for our sins. Can I tell you what I've seen? The gospel is Jesus Christ, the person, Jesus Christ. He himself is the good news. Jesus himself is the gospel. Jesus himself is the verdict against mankind. Jesus himself is the atonement. The atonement is not what was done to Jesus. It's not the punishment he endured. We're not saved by the punishment Jesus endured. We're not saved by by Jesus being crucified. We're saved by Jesus. And when he shed his blood on Calvary, he opened the way for us to be metamorphosed into new creatures, to be made new, to be made in the likeness of Jesus, 
He made us into creatures that no longer are condemned by our sin, not because of some sleight of hand that says Jesus forgives you for your sin but leaves you in it. No, Jesus is the atonement. It's not what Jesus did that's the atonement. It is Jesus who is the atonement. He was both high priest and he was sacrificed. Jesus is the gospel. It's not something that was preached. It's Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news that God wrapped himself in flesh and came and dwelled among us and offered that priestly sacrifice that opens the way for us to be transformed into his likeness, to leave behind this shell of of Adam, this shell of wickedness, this shell of constant struggle with sin, to be made new into his likeness. Jesus is the good news. My greatest fear is that you will take the gospel, you will take Jesus, and you will try to add him to your already full life. That you will try to take Jesus and say, he's a wonderful addition to my life in the flesh. I'm now happier. I'm now at peace. And now I can go about living my life. And I'm okay. I didn't leave my sin. I've not been transformed into a new creature. I'm the same old, same old. But I'm happier. And truth be known, if there were no heaven and there were no hell, I would still want to live as a Christian. I would want to live as a Christian because it's a wonderful way to live. Jesus himself is a wonderful way to live. But if I think I can simply add him to my flesh and then walk hanging with the world and hanging with Jesus, I have been utterly and completely deceived. I cannot do that. Now, please try to understand what I'm going to say to you. There is a work of intense soul-searching before a holy and righteous God. There is a process of self-discovery. As we look at Jesus, we will see ourselves for who we really are. And we will see how we have tried to add him to a full life. 
you are going to have to take time to seek after Jesus. This child born in a manger was God wrapped in flesh. He is not someone to trifle with. All of your goals, all of your objectives, all of your hopes and dreams are going to have to be given to Jesus. In a dream I once had, I was pulling a pull cart that I was shackled to. And on that pull cart rested all of my favorite things, all of my hopes and my ambitions. It was my identity. And in the dream, I was in a long line of men and women who were coming in the same manner. We had the front doors of the cathedral opened for us, and we began the journey down the long aisle to the front. And in the very front of the cathedral, there was a large fire burning. It was not consuming the cathedral, but it was a large fire. It was probably six to ten feet in height, and probably... 15 or 20 feet across. As I came toward that fire, there was a man standing, and he had a book, and he was writing in it. I came up to that man, and he said, Your name, please. And I said, Raymond C. Greenley. He wrote my name in the book. And then he motioned for me to enter the fire. Terrified, I pulled the cart right into that fire. And suddenly I found myself on the other side of the fire. I no longer had my pull cart. There were no longer shackles on my, on my wrists. I was dressed in white. All that was of the past was gone. And there with others who had gone through the fire, we began to shout praises to Jesus. Because now we were free. And I woke up. And as I prayed about that dream, I, be I became very clear that in reality is what we must do in the spirit realm. We must take all that is precious to us, our families, our ambitions, our wickedness, our lust, our sins, and we must enter the fire. And our name must be given that it could be entered in the Lamb's Book of Life. Some of you believe that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, but you never entered the fire. You have kept your sins. You've kept your alcoholism. You've kept your drugs. 
You've kept your pornography. You have kept your ambitions. You've kept your goals. You've kept your anger and your bitterness. If your name is going to be truly entered in the Lamb's Book of Life, all of this has to go into the fire. You are going to have to make a decision. And you see why I'm saying to you today that if you will pursue Jesus, it will consume your time and your energy. You will begin to spend hours every day reading the scriptures. You say, I don't have time. Do you have time to be saved for eternity? Pastor, I I can't spend an, an hour or two hours reading the scriptures. Really? then how are you ever going to enter into the kingdom of God? Do you understand? You can't keep your life and be a follower of Jesus. You're going to have to make the transition where he is your supply and support, and you only do what he directs you to do. You go where he tells you to go. You do what he tells you to do. And you learn that by reading the scriptures and standing on the precious promises of the word. You participate in the divine nature by entering into Jesus Christ by his promises. And so it's going to take time to pray. You're going to have to turn your television off, and you're probably going to have to turn your internet off, and you're going to have to lay your cell phone aside, and you're going to have to give up your ambition to make money, and you're going to have to seek Jesus with all your heart and all your soul, or you will never find him. You will find religion, but you will not find Jesus. It terrifies me at the at the older men and women who today are willing to spend their time sitting in front of the television, feasting on the darkness of worldly sports. They're willing to waste their time away, waiting to die. They have retired. Now they're going to travel. They're going to enjoy the good life. But they've never understood that they are not declared righteous that they have to be made righteous in reality. Your character, your last day on earth, will be the same character your first day in heaven. You're not going to suddenly be transformed into a righteous person. You won't go to heaven if that has to happen. So am I concerned? Yes, very concerned. For many of you have been sold a bill of goods with cute little words, inspiring little sermons. Terrifies me how many pastors spend their week searching out cute little sermons without any confrontation with sin and no word about the blood and no conviction, no passion.
if you don't spend time getting ready to go to heaven, you will not go to heaven. You must make adequate preparation. And that will mean focusing on the Word of God, turning aside from everything of the flesh, and seeking after Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That's all the time we have for today. I invite you to participate with me in covering the cost of the radio. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. If you'd like to write to us, please drop us a line at P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence of his glory.